0: You're going to be so disappointed. 100%. If you are chasing lists and awards and accolades and these like little benchmarks of success because they come and go, it's never going to be enough. So if you're not in love with the craft, you're going to be so disappointed.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Tapping Creativity with myself, Matthew C. Temple. And each week we're going to dive into questions and issues and inspiration around creativity and the creative process. <laughs> Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Tapping Creativity. I have a very special guest. I'm really excited to have Ria Fry with us, who is a multi-published, award-winning, best-selling author who's written four books, I should say four novels and four non-fiction books. She's also the CEO and founder of Right Away, where aspiring writers become published authors. Her weekly right away podcast takes a deep dive into the publishing industry and empowers writers to make informed decisions about their careers. And I'm super excited because today she is taking time out to be on my podcast and to share some of her insight and wisdom and talk about her newest book, Secrets of Our House. So, welcome and thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
1: So I'm just going to say for anyone who's watching this it's on YouTube or somewhere else, my apologies if there's a little bit of staccato in the video. We are literally like a full world, half a world away from each other, and we're doing pretty good here. The audio is crystal clear, so pardon a little bit of that. Yeah. But your newest book, Secrets of Our House, so tell me in your words what the book is about.
0: Secrets of Our House is basically about what happens when a mother's secretive past threatens to upend her family's quote unquote perfect life. So Desi, the main character, she is a very successful businesswoman. She lives in Chicago and she builds this dream getaway house called the Black House which is nestled in the North Carolina mountains. And she and her husband, Peter, and her 17 year old daughter, Jules, go there for the summer in hopes of just enjoying the summer before her daughter goes off to college. And once they get there, everything starts to unravel. Desi's marriage is on the verge of divorce. Her daughter falls in love for the first time and decides she wants to ditch college and stay in River Falls, which is this town in North Carolina. And then Desi's past literally comes knocking at the door of the black house and kind of threatens to spill all these secrets she's worked so hard to keep. It was a really fun kind of different book for me to write. It's a little bit more domestic drama than the typical suspense book I write. But uh, The Wilderness was really the backdrop here, which was so, so fun for me to kind of dive into.
1: I love that. So, you know, it's it's probably not a book I normally would have grabbed off the shelf and read. (laughs) But I will say I was totally engrossed and I read it from cover to cover and I'll tell you why. It was really that it gave this insight into a pathology of success and appearance.
0: Oh, totally, yep. Which I feel like we are all obsessed with Um, and it's something I really work to fight against. I am not a materialistic person. I, I don't promote my business, I don't market it, I'm not on social media with it. It's very word of mouth, referral only. And I find that for women specifically, we feel like we have to prove ourselves constantly and work in this hustle culture. And like, it's what we, you know, our, our houses and our lives and my kids getting into this college. And it's so much about appearance versus what's really going on inside the dynamic of that family. And I have a daughter who could care less about how we do things, what the social norms are. She's like this little wild, feral animal. And she's constantly teaching me about what it means to be human and not what, it, what it's supposed to look like or like the highlight reel on Instagram. That's just not interesting to me. And I think for this character, Desi, she's so interested in appearances and how everything looks. And, and she kind of grows and evolves um, throughout the novel.
1: And that that was really my favorite thing was the honesty of the level of the flaw of the main character. And, and I think so often, uh, you know, since you also work with aspiring writers, I think one of the things that holds uh, new writers back are, are they willing to let their main characters be like honestly flawed? Because I'm going to be honest with you. There is a version of the Matthew Temple story that is definitely as flawed as the Desi story.
0: Oh, completely. And I mean, to me, that's interesting, right? Like real people are interesting. I often write characters that aren't super likable. They are really flawed because that's who we all are. I don't want to write this just like perfect character who everybody loves. That's, that's not realistic. And I, I like to write characters that hopefully people can relate to in, in some ways. Um, so I love to hear that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really great. Um, so Tell me about actually your process with that and how you sort of came up with the yeah. complexities of the of that, of, of like Desi's pathologies. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny because this book didn't start with any of the characters. It started with this black house, which is based on a fellow authors, real black house. That's like out in the middle of wilderness. It's in Georgia though, not North Carolina. And I walked up to this house. I was on a book tour a couple years ago and I was like, this is the perfect house for a murder and there's no murder in secrets of our house but I just was so taken with this home right and like how it how it appeared I mean it was my it was really my dream house and I was like what would it be like to live in a house like this like everything in her life must be so perfect because she has this perfect container so that's really where this story started and then the characters like all my characters I don't pull from my own life. I can relate to them, but they just kind of like materialize and and, you know, I give them their flaws and and their little storylines and then it it goes from there. But typically I start with characters or I start with the plot and this house just, it's just where it started. Um, And I also wrote it (laughs) at the start of the pandemic when we were all sequestered in our homes, we were all just like kind of on top of each other So that really added fuel to the fire to, to kind of play with that.
1: Nice. Nice. I'm curious. Let's go back to actually some of your very beginning as a writer, how did you get started and why did you decide to do this sort of crazy life as a writer?
0: Very crazy life. I mean, I grew up actually wanting to be an Olympian. I was a gymnast. I was a boxer. I was so into just kind of health and wellness and sports, But I grew up in a very creative household. My dad's a fantastic writer. I was always writing and reading. But I believed the stereotype, like everyone else, that you can't make money as a writer. You can't make a living as a writer. It's just a hobby. And so when I decided to go to college, I was a total nerd in high school and got all these scholarships and actually didn't want to go to college. I just wanted to go to work. But I decided to actually go to Columbia in Chicago for uh, creative writing. Uh, Started off as a journalist major and switched and got a novel published when I was 22 and thought like, my life's gonna change. This This is amazing, terrible experience. I got totally taken advantage of. I signed with the Vanity Press. I did not know what I was doing. I did not know a thing about the publishing industry. So I took it upon myself after that to learn everything I could. I worked at a literary agency. I became a journalist on death row. I worked as a ghostwriter, as an editor. And then I transitioned to writing nonfiction books and realized like, okay, I can get a traditional book deal. I can write the book, but I didn't even understand still what an author platform was and how I needed an engaged community in order to buy my book, in order to sell books. And so when I transitioned back to fiction, I was like, I'm going to do this differently. And I learned everything I could about the business of publishing, which is what I created my business right way around. Because again, no one teaches us how to be authors. We can learn how to be good writers, but no one teaches us what it looks like to be a successful writer, how to advocate for yourself, how to negotiate contracts, how to understand how you get paid. Um, So that kind of like, was a 20 year journey to get me here where now I work with all kinds of writers, mostly first time writers who either want to go the self publishing route, but most want to get the agent and the book deal. And in the past two years alone, we've had 65 first time clients land agents and book deals. Some have become bestselling authors and one bestselling authors. So it's been the most gratifying, um, business uh, to just help usher people's dreams into the world.
1: It's amazing. I love that. You know, you talked about you're getting sort of your first difficult experience and, and having, and having to do that. And I'm curious, you know, obviously being a writer, there's so much to do yourself. What was some of the inspiration for you to be there for other writers?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just my job as an author to give back to other authors because it is a very private antiquated hush hush industry where you literally do not know like how it all works and how you're going to make money and you don't know your numbers and so as i was learning about it i started you know i've always worked with writers but i created this side hustle that then became right way where i was like you know what i'm going to tell you everything that the publishing industry is not going to tell you because we romanticize this industry so much and think You get a book deal or a movie deal and you're set, right? Like, I can't tell you how many times when my first book came out in 2018, you know, it was like, oh, have you hit New York Times bestseller list yet? Oh, you know, like when's the movie coming out? Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or has your husband quit his job yet because you're making so much money? And it's just funny that these stereotypes exist. And so I really wanted to cut through all of that. And we started this podcast, The Right Way Podcast to do just that in 2020, which demystifies the publishing industry, tells you all the stuff that people don't tell you. Um, and it, we we have since rebranded to The Real Story. Um, our podcast is now called The Real Story, which really goes a little bit beyond writing. Um, but we wanted to just offer people resources and really help them um, just navigate their way. I've been called like a book doula <laughs> instead of a book coach, because I'm helping people just kind of birth their ideas
1: into the world I love that I relate to it very much you know when uh, about three years ago I decided I needed a sabbatical from having been in Hollywood for 12 years my wife's Kenyan she wanted to uh, come back and figure out what she could do sort of business-wise that could actually really help her you know her community here I literally got rid of everything I owned I moved to the other side of the world and was able to give myself a sabbatical and during that time I also really started to kind of wake up to this thing. Well, okay, now I have time and I'm also in a place where there are a lot of people who haven't had the opportunity to say, train with or work with someone that had my level of experience. And so I just started doing workshops and and like even like the small town in like central Kenya where we lived, Just like at this little tiny like arts organization and then I came into things in Nairobi and, and I think one of the things that inspired me and you maybe can kind of speak to this too is that diversity of voices or anytime you're helping a story get told, the thing is, is that at the beginning, one of the things I thought of is, you know, what, I'm doing this for them. Right. Like they have a story and they need to share their story. And then at a certain point I realized the way that I've been able to experience eons ago or potential futures, the way I've experienced being a, you know, a, a black woman in the segregated South or, you know, whatever else, the only way I've done that is because somebody told their story. Yes. And if I can help somebody tell their story, that's going to give me the opportunity to have an experience I would never have otherwise.
0: I love that. And that's what I love about who I work with, because again, we don't market on social media. We don't do any of that. People just come to us word of mouth. And most of our clients are diverse and come from these rich, like amazing backgrounds with these incredible stories. And I find it so interesting how whatever I'm studying or interested in, those clients find me naturally. And then I'm always learning from them. Just like you said, it's just so incredible and such a gift to be able to be a part of that and be a part of them getting their books out into the world. And they're going to affect so many thousands of people. And it's just this beautiful ripple effect along the way.
1: You know, and it's interesting to see that getting that work out there too. I was working with a guy who wants to, he's, you know, he's working on his first script and he asked me, he's like, do you think this is crazy? Like, am I ever going to sell this? And I said. If you're doing it for that reason alone, then yeah. First of all, it's crazy, yes. And if that's that reason alone, it's (laughs) going to be disappointing because you finish a book for like a nanosecond, right? And then it's finished. But the writing of the book is just hours and days and weeks and months and even years. Yep. Right? Completely. So it's like doing that. It's when you're showing up and doing it. If you can fall in love with doing it, then it's a complete victory no matter what happens afterwards.
0: A hundred percent. If you are chasing lists and awards and accolades and these like little benchmarks of success, you're gonna be so disappointed because they come and go, and then you're gonna constantly raise that bar, and it's never gonna be enough. There's no amount of books you can sell that's enough. There's no amount of lists that you can hit that's enough. So if you're not in love with the craft, which I have to say though, speaks more fiction writers, nonfiction, which is the bread and butter of our business. These people aren't writers. They wow. are CEOs, executives, lifestyle experts, people who have stories to tell, who want a book to really encapsulate whatever it is they're doing to help you know promote their brand or business. So they aren't often as emotionally attached to the success of this like one thing. It just fits into their arsenal of other products. But for fiction, you can be so emotional about that and just be like, this book has to do so well or else I'm a huge failure. Um, and I think what you said is is absolutely right. Like you, you have to enjoy the journey. Like I love, the, the writing process is my favorite because unfortunately today you can't just be an author. You have to be a marketing wizard and a social media guru and a salesperson. I know it makes me... So frustrated! I'm on a mission to to have authors just be authors again. We want to be creative for a reason. I'm not a freaking spokesperson or a salesperson. I never signed up for that. I want to be a writer, and I have such little time to write. Like all my books are written in like a month to three months because wow. of the production, like timeline, and running a business and homeschooling my child. So it's always crammed into these little pockets, so just fast and furious pockets. And I wish we had more time to process, to sit with an idea, to get paid really well for it. So you don't feel like you always have to to have a side hustle as well.
1: Right. Gosh. Yeah. I, I hear you. That's my least favorite thing. It's like, and I, I've had to, <laughs> having to shift that a little bit, like say, so you know what? I'm going to have to try and fall a little bit in love, with the stuff that i hate because like i mean i mean you know there are things but like you know my last documentary that i that i made you know and it got out you know we we got vertical entertainment distributed it and you can it's on amazon prime and or if you have a like, canopy awesome. or whatever through your local library, you can get it yeah. there too. And, you know, but even still, like there was a whole lot of marketing stuff that I could have done that probably would have helped elevate the exposure. And I'm just like, that's not me. And now I'm thinking, okay, well, that I felt like was a really important project. And if you're homeschooling your daughter and you talked about being a, you know, an athlete, it's called hardball, the girls of summer. And it's about women who play baseball in America right now. Wow, uh, we're playing that. hardball. Yeah. Amazing. So I hear that. So you just said that you write a book in a very short period of time. You've got a lot of other things going on, which means that you've found some system or process that obviously works. Um, I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit what that is.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I've always been a really fast writer. I have to be um, with our clients. For instance, we create these nonfiction book proposals. There are 100 pages each. So if we've had 65 clients over the past two years, that is a a lot of pages and a lot of words. So I'm very organized with how I approach my business and my clients, but with fiction, I really wanted to create kind of the sacred space and bubble where I could write. And I don't, I'm not one of those writers that like, I get up and I write 1500 words every day. While I would love to do that, my life just isn't like that. And I allow, allow room for flow. But I did in 2020 with the pandemic, I bought a tiny home and I dropped it on the back of our acre property. Um, So it became my writing studio and I filled it with all the things that I love. I'm super woo woo. So it's got like crystals and plants and candles and books. And it's just my sacred space where I can go. I don't, I have no Wi-Fi in there on purpose and I can just go in there and create and feel really good about it. I think writers don't think enough about their environment. Like sometimes we have these little desk or, you know, shoved in a closet somewhere, but you want to feel good about your space and create like a ritual around it. I found that that really makes me want to be there and makes me want to sit down and actually create.
1: Wow. How has that evolved then for you? So you said you, you know, you published your first book, you were 22. Um, Now you have a kid, so you're definitely not 22 anymore. How, (laughs) How has your creative process evolved?
0: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately it's not as, like used to. So before tech, I mean, this is a whole different conversation. I am so old school and just wish, I think the phone is the biggest addiction of our lifetime. And I just wish we could all put them down. We are living in a constant state of distraction. In fact, I'm reading this book called Sabbath. I'm not religious. I'm I'm spiritual, but it's a beautiful book by Wayne Muller that came out 22 years ago, still holds true. But my husband and I turned off turned off our phones, put away the computers for the entire weekend recently. And it was the biggest revelation to realize, oh my God, we're not connecting with each other. We are in constant reactive mode and responding to people and distracted. And I found myself during that, waking up like the creative spark that used to permeate my every second. Like I used to be someone before all this tech shit where I would just like, stare out a window and ponder or read poetry or go on walks and process and just be alone with my thoughts. And now we're just consuming all the time. We don't have any time to think or be creative. So I think the creative process for everyone has really suffered a lot because we don't create that physical space and mental space in order to do so. So I'm on a mission now, I'm like every weekend, you know, that we don't have stuff going on, we are turning off our technology and just coming into the day. Like I had to navigate, my daughter and I went hiking and because I turned my brain off, I put in ways to the little thing. I actually made a wrong turn on the way back because I'm not used to paying attention and using my brain to problem solve, to critically think. Um, So I am so, so, so passionate about that and just getting us all more distraction free i don't know why we've all agreed to carry these little you know drug addictions in our pockets all day every day it's i think it's a real problem and i wish we were kind of talking about it more
1: yeah it's such a such a good point i was thinking the other day when i was traveling and there was something that says please uh practice social distancing and i just hit me i was like wait Social distancing is what we should call social media, because basically it seems like we're social, but we are so distant.
0: So distant. It's it's we're, uh, you know, young people are more connected than ever. They are lonelier than ever before. The suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. And that's what I've realized is like, I actually want to be an author without social media. I've already deleted Twitter. I deleted LinkedIn. I'm deleting Facebook after this launch. So I just have Instagram left. And I want community in real life. I want to sit across from someone and actually connect. And I'm not saying all tech's bad. You're on the other side of the world. It's so cool that we can do this. But when we are becoming voyeurs and just staring into the glow of our palm and swiping and scrolling and liking, that does not take the place of of real connection and real community, which I think we are all desperately craving. Mm -hmm.
1: I agree completely. And I think since you've tied that into also like the creativity, is that having space, having time, having boredom, having, you know, it's like, it's vital, isn't it?
0: It is so vital. And I look at my nine year old who, again, is amazing, but she has an iPod Touch for music. She listens to podcasts. She has a Nintendo Switch. When she's not doing one of those things, she's like, I'm so bored. What do I do? And I already see the consumption and the addiction of just listening and consuming something. So actually this is the week of launch, my book launch. I sent my husband and my daughter away to these tiny homes an hour from here. There's no tech. They didn't bring phones and she is she is napping, she's hiking, she's coming back to just grounding herself and being bored and drawing and doing puzzles and I'm like, if it's affecting nine year olds that severely when they just are introduced to tech and you see how addictive it is, what do you think it's doing to our brains where we just we that is the relationship that we're really in is with our tech. It's not your spouse. It's not your child. It's your phone. And I just don't want to play by those rules anymore. I really, really don't.
1: I think that's important. So you're probably the last question I was gonna ask you, and I think this is, you you might've just uh, answered it, but uh, when you're working with clients or people know you're a writer and you're fairly prolific, uh, and they say, uh, they ask you, like, how to deal with writer's block, what do you tell them?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, my biggest piece of advice for that is probably gonna not be the best advice, but it is for me. I actually step away from the page and I go on a walk without my phone and I process and I actually allow my brain to to kind of think. And that is when I come up with my best ideas. A lot of people say that about the shower because you're not plugged into something, you don't have pressure, you need that space. For me, most of my writing and problem solving doesn't come like in front of the computer, it comes when I'm away from it and away from technology and I'm allowing myself to just kind of think about it. Um, so I think building in process time and just kind of sitting with an idea. Um, But then, you know, at some point you do have to sit down to write. So a lot of people will end their day like in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a scene. So when they go back the next day, they're not starting with a blank page. They're starting in the middle of something which really creates forward momentum, which I think is really cool.
1: That's really great. And I think sometimes too is this idea of like patience you know sometimes you just have to be patient with yourself but sometimes people think oh, i'm waiting for inspiration i say no that's not patience that's just procrastination yes. patience is basically saying you yes. know what if i do three things today if i sit down and i don't even get very much done but i've actually sat down and i've given it or you say you know i'm going to go on a walk and i'm going to clear my brain i'm going to come down and i'm going to write you know 10 bullet points of things i can come back to anything to just you know But yeah, just allow this process. It is a, it is a creative process. They call it a process for a reason. It's not a, it's not a creative solution. It's not, you know, you're a writer, you're not a have written, (laughs) which means you have to be writing and,
0: and, and exactly. And the last thing I'll say about the phone and just that is we spend on average five hours a day on our phones five hours plugged into that that's not even computer time or tv time so if you can block out one focused hour a day which everybody can i don't care what anyone says you 1000 percent can do that and you put away the phone you turn off your notifications you would be amazed at what you can get done in one focused hour I, a lot of people will realize they can't do it they're like they'll work for two minutes and they'll check their email and they'll work for two minutes and then check their text messages so we have to retrain and rewire our brains to learn to not multi-focus and not multitask, and then you you will be amazed at how much time you actually do have when you do that.
1: I love it. Well, Ria, thank you so much for showing up on the podcast, for sharing your insight, your the wisdom that you have gained as a writer over the years. Um, I'm really excited to learn more about Right Way. And I will say this uh, new book of yours, Secrets of Our House, I read it from cover to cover. I want to thank you too for writing a book that gives us an honest picture of a human being struggling with the realities of, of life. So thank you for bringing this little gift into the world and taking the time to do it. And uh, I'm excited to for the next one and to stay in touch for sure.
0: Absolutely, thank you so much, this was so fun.